This morning we're um, beginning a new four-week, four-part Advent series, um, Getting Dressed for Christmas. That's uh, the, the kind of the theme over the next uh, four weeks. And, and as, the text for that um, theme is going to be in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 15. Um, each week, we'll be taking one verse and, and just uh, focusing in on what it has to say about cultivating um, healthy relationships with one another. Um, and, you know, so part of my, my thinking in approaching this Advent is that we've just been through, well, one, we're struggling, just continuing with the limitations connected with the pandemic um, so that we're, we're separated, and, and we're, we've not been able to enjoy those kind of normal relating that we're accustomed to. And, and I know that was especially difficult uh, for many at the time of Thanksgiving. But also just coming through this kind of overheated um, election season. Um, well, and, and if our model for healthy relating are like the talking heads on you know, the, the news channels or the comment sections after uh, editorial pieces. Um, that's not a really a great model for us. And so what I'm hoping is, and, and this is where, you know, I'm preaching to myself. Uh, I need this series as much as anyone, I think. Um, that, that as we approach God's Word, we just need to be reminded and renewed about these kind of key traits and characteristics that mark healthy relationships, healthy relating with one another, taking our cues not from the world uh, but from the Word of God. Today's passage is a reminder of who we are in Christ. So this is where it begins, with our identity in Christ. And it sets before us five virtues with which we are to spiritually clothe ourselves. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Colossians 3.12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Would you bow your heads with me? O Father of light, illuminate our hearts and minds with the truth of your word, that we may ponder more fully your love for us in Christ, that we may more truly know you and more perfectly serve you. For the sake of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Before we can focus in on the virtues um, with which we are to be clothed, the Apostle Paul briefly but importantly reminds us, just using three words, of who we are in Christ. And he reminds us of our chief identity and goes on to declare that the Christian's clothing corresponds. It's fitting. It's, it's appropriate uh, to their identity in Christ. Right at the beginning, he tells us three things that are true of us and in Christ. They're wonderful truths, and we, you know, Mary pondered these things. Well, this is a, a passage that as Christians, especially at this time of the year, we need to ponder. 
Each of the three words are critically important. Put on then as God's, here's the first one, chosen ones. We're chosen, holy and beloved. Before the scriptures apply these these terms, these, these vocabulary words to Christian believers, well, this is the kind of terminology uh, that would have been um, uh, strong in the mind, specifically the Jewish Christians. These were terms that described um, Israel, uh, and, and it described how Israel was chosen by God out of all the world. They were set apart as holy to the Lord with a holy purpose. They were beloved by God who blessed them with blessings that were special and unique among all the nations. And then after being applied to Israel, these are terms that are um, uh, also in turn applied to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he becomes then the focal point of being the chosen one, being perfectly holy and beloved by God the Father with an eternal unbreakable love. And so we gain a sense of the importance of these terms. Um, and, and we should recognize that these are terms that point to a, a group of people who are privileged. They're special. They're set apart by God. They're not throwaway words for the apostle, but truths that we have to understand, that we have to wrestle with and believe if we are going to approximate the picture of Christ's character that he begins to um, describe with the the virtues that follow, the virtues we are to be clothed with. And so, you know, there are certain... We're a complex um, uh, creation. Our identity is is a a complex um, uh, uh, sum of of a, a, a variety of identity markers, you know, what nation, we're, we're Americans, um, uh, where you, what state, you know, many of us are from Ohio, um, where's our family, you know, and, and where do you trace your family from, what is our ethnicity, what, what is our, our class, what is our gender, what is our, um, our vocation in life, all of these serve as identity markers, but in Christ, there are certain identity markers that we need to just bring to the center of who we are. And I think when Paul just begins with these three terms, I think he's, he's projecting a little bit, and he, he's revealing something about himself, about the, the identity markers that were right at his heart, that were the, the, the markers that really uh, were the priority, that triumphed over the others in his life. He knew himself to be chosen, holy, and loved. Well, let's look at chosen. Ephesians 1.4, we read, Even as he, that is God the Father, chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Being chosen by God is something that the New Testament, that Paul himself emphasizes, took place before we were born. Not just before we were born, but before the world was made. He wants to make it clear that there's this kind of time gap between God's choice of us and our responding, our coming to faith, our um, receiving Jesus Christ to be our Lord and our Savior. 
And as we look at these virtues, then, I think one of the things we need to understand is that as we seek to clothe ourselves, as we seek to um, grow in Christian character, we're not doing it to establish or maintain our relationship with God. We're not doing it to earn God's favor. What Paul's trying to tell us from the beginning is we already have these things. And so our motivation for wanting to cultivate Christian character and virtue in our lives is not so that God will love us more, but it's because we are so loved, because he's already chosen us. And in some sense, we're already holy. So we are chosen. Second Timothy says that we were chosen for a holy calling. The Jews knew this about themselves, that they were to be this kind of priesthood, a witness, a light to the world. And so we, the, 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 the choosing by God is not just simply that we would find for personal forgiveness in Jesus or that we would just be able to be personally redeemed and, and, and a member of God's kingdom. It goes beyond this to this idea that we were chosen so that we might fulfill a holy calling. You've been chosen. And then he goes on to say that you are holy, the second key term. Something that is holy is set apart for God's use. It is consecrated or devoted to the Lord. And this also carries with it the idea then of being um, uh, worthy of God's uh, use, uh, of being God's instrument. It includes this, this kind of metaphorical or uh, moral idea of pursuing um, uh, purity in our lives, of pursuing integrity and righteousness and justice within our own lives, that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now, but what's interesting here is Paul says we are already holy. One of my uh, good brothers uh, reminds me uh, regularly that the, the primary terminology that the New Testament uses for believers is not sinner. There's a sense we, we continue to sin, of course. But the way in which the New Testament describes believers is usually with the term saints. We are saints already. We are, and literally what saints uh, means is holy ones. Well, how can he just blanketly apply this term of being holy to um, all believers? We know that not all believers are at the same place in their Christian character and in their Christian maturity. Well, it's because he's referring to what's positionally true of us by virtue of our union in Christ. And this is very close to what Paul is writing here because in verse 3, in chapter Colossians 3, verse 3, Paul writes, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So how can we refer to believers as holy? Because when we place our faith in Christ, not only are our, our sins placed on Christ and paid for at the cross, so that our sins are 100% atoned. But in addition to this, we are placed in Christ, so that now when God the Father looks down at us, he doesn't see us in our sins. He sees us clothed 
in the perfect righteousness of Christ. So positionally, even though in our actions and our thoughts and our behaviors, we sin every day, we have a long way to go this side of heaven to actually behaving and thinking like Jesus. But with that said, God the Father, when he sees us, he sees us in Christ, in the righteousness of Christ, so that we need to understand we are holy in God's sight. And if God says we're holy, what is true? It's what God says is true. We are chosen, we are holy, and we are loved. You are beloved. That is, you are dearly loved by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is a love that is special. It is an electing love. It is an unconditional love. It is an unbreakable, eternal love. And here we do have to distinguish the love of God for his people, for those whom he chose from the beginning of the foundation of the world, in contrast to his common grace love that he has for all humanity. God loves us with the same love that he has for his son, Jesus Christ. It means that in spite of our repeated sin and repeated failures, God loves us no less than when Christ died for us, no less than when we first understood the message of of God sending Christ into the world for the forgiveness of sins. And when we We received him that first day. God loves us no less now than he did at that very moment. Romans 8, this is, Paul is pressing this theme in Romans 8 when he writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. Understand the gospel. In Christ, you are chosen, you are holy, and you are loved. One of them, okay, so... You just have to understand, one of the the most difficult things for the Christian believer as they make their way toward heaven, uh, towards heaven, is to believe this truth, is to receive the love that God has for them. This is in part, this is the part of what the fight of faith is all about is to continue to believe, to abide in his love. And you have to abide in the love of God so that you are freed up to then demonstrate Christ-like character towards others. Well, that that leads then to these five basic virtues uh, that we are to put on. Uh, Put on, then, is the language from which the idea of this series comes from. To put on, this this is... um, 
you know, clothing language. This would be the normal language when he said, you know, it's time to, uh, for you to, uh, to you know, um, put on your garments, um, to be attired. Well, this is um, the language of getting dressed. And so the, the Apostle Paul uses this language metaphorically to speak of getting dressed with these key Christian virtues. There are lots of important Christian um, character traits. You could talk about hard work and industry and, and efficiency and, 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 um, and other kinds of important Christian virtues. But the virtues he just singles out in this brief passage are all connected with our relating with one another. It's all about um, our relationships. And not just with Christian believers, it's, it's relating with our neighbors, with our own families and, and, and with strangers. When we think, and, and what we need to see is that these are um, kind of the, 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 the virtues that fill up the Christian's wardrobe, and they are fitting for our identity in Christ. So, for instance, if, if you think of seeing, you know, the Queen of England at a public, you know, a, a, a kind of formal public event, you expect her to, to be um, uh, fitted with royal attire, okay? Fitting, that's appropriate, that's consistent with who she is as the royal queen. Or, you know, or to think of something a little more ordinary, um, if you get pulled over by a police officer, that police officer is going to be dressed in a certain way. He's going to be wearing a uniform. He's going to have a badge. He's probably going to have a lot of equipment. All of that is consistent with his being um, established, duly um, established, as a justice of the peace, okay? as you know, a, a police officer. And so as God's chosen and holy and um, uh, uh, beloved people, this is how we are to conduct ourselves. These are the virtues we are to cultivate. Well, the first of these is compassion. And actually, um, it's compassionate hearts. It's two words in the Greek. Sometimes this is translated as tender-hearted mercies. The first word is, is literally, it's not heart. It gets translated as heart, but if it were a literal translation, it would be bowels. <laughs> because this is where, you know, you, you feel things in your gut, you know, in the ancient world. This is like where you feel strong emotion. It arises from the gut. Uh, we translate that as the heart. <laughs> it's the same idea. And when he's talking about, you know, these tender-hearted compassion or pity or mercies, uh, one, all of these traits are traits used to describe God. These are all true of who God is. The compassionate heart, uh, along with other, um, uh, and again, all these qualities are um, mention of God. For instance, in Psalm 145, we read that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. This is the idea of having special regard, you know, being able to get outside ourselves <clears throat> and to be sensitive to others um, when they're suffering, when others are going through adversity, 
and painful circumstances um, or just difficulties that we would have a sense of spirit to get outside of our own needs, our own, you know, to-do list for the day, and to be able to demonstrate a heart for those who are in difficulty. That's tender-hearted mercy or compassionate hearts. The second quality is kindness. Uh, this can also is often translated as goodness. One dictionary um, says that this is goodness expressed in attitude and deed. It is the friendly and helpful spirit which seeks to meet the needs of others through kind deeds. It is the opposite of malice, that is the desire to do evil uh, to others. Now, of course, um, both compassion and kindness require us to get past our own needs. It requires that we have the capacity to consider uh, the needs of others. And again, our great example of kindness is what the Lord God our Father did in sending his Son into the world to live the life we could not live, to suffer, brutally suffer, and die on a Roman cross for us because of our need for the uh, atonement and the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Jesus himself uses the example of the Good Samaritan as a kind of clear, a perfect model of what this means. And he commends those who demonstrate kindness even on ordinary levels, when he says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. You know, we are living in a time when personal, just neighborly kindness is increasingly in short supply. This kindness... This is especially where the early church, the early Christians, they really excelled. And this was a tremendous witness um, to the surrounding um, uh, society as they watched the Christians not only take care of their own members, but also reach into their communities to help feed and to clothe the poor. So we are to be clothed with compassionate hearts with kindness, and then humility. In the ancient world, humility was actually a character trait that was despised by the pagans. It was viewed as weak. But nevertheless, humility is right at the core of uh, you know, these, these basic Christian virtues. Uh, many um, view humility as the willingness to be treated like a doormat, where we just allow others to stomp all over us. That is not the biblical conception. Biblical humility is having a realistic appraisal of who we are, including our limitations, our weaknesses, and our own personal flaws. And it does require that we understand, like everyone else, that we do fall short of the glory of God. And we allow that to, to bring us down, um, to make us um, approachable uh, with others. We're told concerning Jesus and being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
In his parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, who both appear at the temple to pray, Jesus uses the tax collector as a model of humility. When the tax collector beats his breast and he cries to the Lord, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus summarizes the point this way. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, that is, the religious leader, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so for these reasons, the Apostle Paul can then instruct believers, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Well, in addition to compassionate hearts, in addition to kindness and humility, there's gentleness. Now, it would be interesting just to ask the question, you know, when's the last time you prayed for gentleness? You know, gentleness isn't one of those character traits that rises to the top. You know, we think of patience. We, we think of love. We think of, you know, joy and self-control. Um, we might think of goodness and kindness, but gentleness, which is also one of the fruit of the Spirit, is not normally high on our list. But here, the apostle saying, it is important for our relationships with one another. Gentleness is a kind of strength under control. It is the opposite of running over other people in our relationships. Jesus adds his own example for us to consider when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. There's our key word. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What does Jesus mean when he says he's gentle? In the very next chapter in Matthew, he says this, and he's quoting from the Old Testament, when he, and he says, a bruised reed, he, referring to himself, will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. Jesus understood that there were those who were in a situation of life where they just feel like they're, you know, the wick on their oil lamp, the oil's low, it's running very low. And that little flame at the end of the wick is just barely holding on. And Jesus says, there are people, that's how they feel. There may be people here today, I'm like that, you know, my wick, it just feels like it's close to going out. And Jesus says, if you come to me, I will not quench your flame. Or he uses the, the illustration of the bruised reed that so easily can just fold over and bend. He says, if you're bruised, I will not cause you to break. What is gentleness? Gentleness is this ability to kind of to see the needs of others. It's a recognition. When you understand that somebody's vulnerable at some point in their life, you don't go after them there. You, you learn to treat people with dignity. 
with gentleness. Gentleness is the trait we need to be clothed with, especially as we enter into this Advent season. And then finally, there's patience. Other translations use the term long-suffering. Patience is a critical trait uh, that we're to put on. Paul mentions the need for patience over and over again in his letters. And it's probably because there are so many different circumstances in which we are called to exercise patience or to exercise long-suffering. You know, when you are feeling persecuted, maybe you're feeling, you know, you're the victim of office politics that are just, they're just beyond your control to do anything about. We're called to, to demonstrate patience. And in that case, it would mean to guard our hearts from anger, to guard our hearts from bitterness, um, from um, resentment, from uh, retaliation. Or someone provokes you. It was a rude comment, and you know they meant it. You know, it's not like one of those times where you think, well, did they really say what I thought they said? No, they said it, and they meant it. How do you respond? Well, the world says you give them as good as you got, okay? Patience says we're slow to anger. James 1.19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Or just think about the adversities that come, unexpected setbacks, um, illnesses, unemployment, um, pandemics. And we say, how long, O Lord? You know, it's like a child who can't wait for Christmas Day to come. And we're saying, how long? This is where we learn to submit ourselves to the will and the wisdom of God who holds the whole world in his hands. We continue to go to him day by day for the grace that we may need moment by moment. We continue to be comforted by his promises that God knows, that God will grant us the desires of our hearts in due time. And it is also good sometimes, you know, People don't mean, um, there are certain circumstances where patience is called for when, when individuals have done nothing wrong, but they're just annoying. <laughs> and, and, you know, and probably it's not always just that person. It's really us. It's really, we didn't get enough sleep. We, we haven't eaten. We're, we're experiencing a sugar low. And patience is called for. Learning, Lord, please, grant me strength. Help me to, 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 to interact the way Christ calls us to interact. These are the virtues that God is calling us to put on as we move into this Advent season. Because you are noble and dearly loved by God, clothe yourselves in garments that flow out of who you are. Clothe yourselves with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
gentleness, and patience. Would you bow your heads with me? Our God and Father, you know all things. Lord, grant to us who do not know what a day may bring forth to trust in your providence and to safely stay on the path of life. Lord, should this week bring unexpected and difficult trials, should we falter and be discouraged, bring to our minds the goodness and mercy that have followed us all the days of our life. Help us now, not knowing what the future will bring, to resolve that we will trust you to be our shield, to be our defender, our refuge and strength. And when all our days are spent, may we be able with firmer faith and strong hope to commit ourselves to your care, for you are our rock of refuge from generation to generation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.